So we really bonded and connected based on our personality. However, I did not have the experience. Therefore, they said they cannot hire me. Now, usually people would just say, okay, fair enough. I don't have the experience. Maybe I'll go and find another job and I'll come back to this job. Or maybe I'll just give up and look for something else. But at the time, I don't know why I was being very confident in myself. Maybe it's just me being a little over my head. But I was like, they like me. I just don't have the experience. Might as well just create some sort of experience and get the job. What I did overnight was I started that magazine you've mentioned in the intro section um, called stuffs.com. So I actually just started that overnight. Um, and I started writing my own writing experience because I really wanted the job. Um, and throughout the month, I just kept sending the HR my article on the website that I created. And they ended up hiring me. Hey, welcome to Key Moments. Chopcast original series where we have bonfire conversations with B2B creators about the key moments that shape their journey. I'm Karim Mustafa, your host and fellow creator. In each episode, we'll explore the challenges that creators face, from imposter syndrome to finding your unique voice in a crowded market. We'll share lessons learned, pivotal decisions made, and even moments of triumph. My hope is that after each episode, you'll come away with at least one fresh idea to apply to your own journey as a creator. So grab a drink and let's dive in. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Key Moments. On today's show, we have a special guest who is a content marketer and consultant, but didn't always start this way. She's on a mission to help those with an entrepreneurial mindset attract opportunities with content. When she first got her tattoos, her mom said she would never be hired by any successful companies in Hong Kong. But our guest was confident that she would manage just fine. She knew there were other people just like her, people who are simply not afraid to be themselves. Through her content, she's attracted opportunities from freelancing as an actress, to becoming a professional dancer, to being hired as a fresh grad with no experience, to founding her own online magazine, and eventually becoming a content director. In her own words, people describe me as a highly passionate content marketing educator, capable of simplifying complex concepts at ease. Joyce Tsang, welcome to Key Moments. Hi there, it's my pleasure to be on here and to have the opportunity to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. So for folks who haven't heard of you before, um, what, do you, what are you currently doing? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. I mean, first of all, thank you for that very kind introduction. Definitely, there has been a lot of different things that has happened throughout my whole professional career, as well as as what we call a slasher, doing things on the side, so on and so forth. Right now, I am the founder of my own company called Joyceng Content Marketing. And what we actually do is, like you've mentioned, we help those with an entrepreneurial mindset explore their full potential with content. Now, I offer things such as the regular services like creating content strategies, social media strategies, as well as digital marketing strategies for companies. But at the same time, I also find that passion of educating others. So I also am involved in um, offering corporate training or just individual mentorship so that those who are interested in venturing out and testing out their potentials and abilities can also get a hand from me as somebody who's tried it uh, by myself. I love it. Amazing. And are you uh, focusing on any specific uh, niches or, or geographies? I think that's super interesting as well, because a lot of different leads or clients or people I meet at networking events ask me the same thing. I actually don't specific, specifically serve a vertical or any specific industries. At the end of the day, I believe that whether you're a B2B or a B2C or even an individual, you're really trying to spread your story to other people. So in that sense, what I've realized is that anybody who are interested in my service are those who are always looking to ask why. So as you can tell, not a lot of company owners have that question. They just want to get things done. But what I've noticed is that anybody who comes through, whether they're in the um, translation industry, which I've had a client in, or somebody who started a Kickstarter business, or just from very different industries, they're all people who are asking why. And those are people that tend to become my client at the end. And it, of course, didn't always start this way. So maybe take us back to your childhood. How did you become the kind of person that you that you are today? Like, if you can walk us through, like, uh, how, your childhood, like how um, your early career like looked like, and how that all kind of led to where you are today. Definitely. So 
like you've mentioned, I'm based in Hong Kong. I was born here as well. But for those of you who know or are aware of the Asia history, um, before the 1997, when we were uh, going to be returned back to China, a lot of people immigrated. So that included my family as well. So my family decided to immigrate to Canada, where I spent most of my childhood in. And at the time when I immigrated, I couldn't speak a word of English. So I was taking English as a secondary language classes during primary school. And what I realized as being very interesting back then as a memory is that they use the idea and the concept of storytelling to teach people who have first landed in Canada to learn the language. So instead of giving us a textbook about grammar or teaching us vocabularies, my teacher back then told me to just tell stories in ways that I could. So I really liked drawing and I included, you know, vocabularies to my best of my ability in English. And what was interesting was within a year, I was able to speak English just predominantly based on the urge and that passion of telling stories to my teacher. So that would be one of the childhood memories that I have that really driven me into the whole idea of creating content, storytelling, and it really ties back to what I do today um, for my clients and for myself. And what's an example of like a story that when you say stories, um, imagine people are wondering, like, would, were, were you just um, were you thinking of it from like a, from like creative storytelling perspective or like what, what would be an example of like some stories you used to tell? Yeah, back in the day I was well up until today, actually, I really like whales. So I love whales, dolphins. And I think that's just something that you can actually get access to in Vancouver as well, where I was living. We can go to the aquarium, we can go out and we can actually see these animals. And uh, I became fascinated with it. So I bought a lot of books. My parents thought it was very cool that I liked an animal so bought me a lot of books and took me on trips and things and I started coming up with fictional stories about whales right like what would it be if I met a whale what would it be if I was a whale you know and I included all those into just creative storytelling projects that I did by myself on my own computer um, at, at times I handed them in as homeworks as well if it was relevant so that was kind of the idea that I had it started from an animal that I loved and I started just imagining different stories and building from there that's so interesting and it's almost like the the genesis of like at at, at the core i'm almost trying to i don't want to jump to a conclusion which is a bad habit of mine but it's almost like i can almost already see where this is going like at at the very core of it um you just have such a strong passion for, for for storytelling in general and it's interesting because a lot of folks would sometimes get a little bit nervous at the idea of telling a story because unfortunately like many times people think of stories like tell a story or something like that like it's become such a uh, such a cliche thing in in many cases and like cliche advice like oh just just tell a story but and, and like just you know be yourself but like sometimes it's just so much it's so much easier said than done and i think cliche things become cliches for for a reason but um yeah i just i just wanted to share that but yeah please please carry on like what, what how how did you what what took place after that no, I think that's a very uh, interesting note to have as well. Just jumping in slightly there, I've actually just recently released a um, email newsletter to some of my readers talking specifically about brand storytelling because the word storytelling has been thrown around in so many different places. And there's there's no shame in admitting that you have no clue what it's about. When I first started as a social media manager at a company, they kept telling us that as well. Joyce, can you storytell? Can you create storytelling content on social media? And every single night I was like, what the hell are they talking about? I have no clue what they're trying to look for. And ultimately after you know uh, being able to um, serve other different clients, understand a bit more about content marketing and the storytelling aspect within that whole strategic mindset, do I actually have the skills to do that? So it, it's definitely normal for even marketers at times. We throw that word al- around a lot of times but how many of us actually feel confident or feel like they know exactly what they're doing when it comes to storytelling right so I definitely resonate with that point as well now back to your question about like how that actually ventured out into perhaps my early um, career uh, a neat little story is I actually graduated with a BA in visual arts Um, so I was training to become a painter or a photographer or a drawer things like that um, to be very honest with you, it was because that was the um, that was the subject that I felt the most confident in. Not so much because I really aspired to be a painter. I just wanted to get into university.
university graduate and that was the subject that I felt like I had the most um, confidence in graduating in. Um, um, but after that, um, during that process, I did learn a lot and within art history, there is a lot of different storytelling. Um, when it comes to different myths or different histories or socio-economical um, events and things like that, um, I realized that as a student, I learned uh, way better when I was given a story instead of just given a article or an essay, things like that. But after that, I graduated, I came back to Hong Kong and I struggled to find a job, which was not difficult to imagine. Having a BA in visual arts, nobody knew what you wanted to do. Um, arts back in the day was still kind of like, unless you're dead and famous, you're not going to really make much money when you're still alive. Um, it's not the case right now, but when I was graduating, that was kind of uh, the norm here in Hong Kong. So I asked myself, right, like throughout those four years of university, apart from painting and drawing, what did I learn? What skills did I accumulate that is able to help me find a full-time job? And it ended up being writing because of the art history background that was um, encompassed within that subject of graduating. Um, and from there, I actually went on to become a reporter, which later on became, you know, online editors and things like that within the media industry. So then I was literally the embodiment of a storyteller because I had to write stories. I had to interview people. I had to talk about events happening. I had to talk to fashion designers or new upcoming things that's happening around the city and deliver that story to audiences um, through that publication. So that's kind of how that ended up. To and to go back to something important you said, I think sometimes I can only, I'm trying to imagine putting myself in your shoes and as I'm sure other people are as well like having that um that um i was reading a book uh i was actually rereading a book for the for the fourth time recently which is uh cal newport's book uh deep work and he was talking about all the different styles of like um deep like deep work basically and one of them i think is called the the journalistic approach and it basically talks about and he, he named it because it's based on the journalist style where basically they can just like come into the office on one morning and they can get like a deadline just like that and they need to have something ready in two hours. I don't care about your inspiration. I don't care about if you're in the mood or not. I need this done in two hours and I need it to be beautiful in two hours. Figure it out, you know? Um, and and I think like many times, like true or false, like sometimes you, you see an event happening, but it's just a basic event, but it's up to you, the storyteller slash journalist slash creator. It's up to you to turn this otherwise boring or standard event into something pretty cool. And I was wondering if you've come across that before, or if you were one of the lucky ones where everything you covered was just so interesting by default. I mean, I can't really come up with a um, example of something I found boring specifically because of the point you made, because I tend to try and look for something that was interesting, even within what we call the mundane, right? Um, I, I get very pleased and I appreciate tiny things. It's just the way that I am. And I think that really benefited me as a reporter or a journalist back in the day. Um, there was this one example where I went to a very small outdoor concert featuring a local band back in the day before they uh, were well known um, as a household name. And they were still very small. They were running around the city trying to get gigs. So I guess that outdoor concert wasn't something that pre uh, people were gravitating to or even bothered to pay attention to. But I went to cover it. Um, and what was interesting is because they are a local band, so they sung in Cantonese. And most of their media coverage or people who paid attention were local people. But the publication I was writing for was in English and our target audiences were foreigners or expats in Hong Kong. Um, I actually still wrote the coverage, but in English. And I said, you know, I expressed what their songs were about, how their um, stage presence was like. And I, I took it to another different angle where uh, they, I was trying to tell foreigners or expats about this local band. What was interesting was um, the manager of that band picked it up. Uh, he didn't know who I was. I didn't know he, who he was. He picked it up and he shared it on his Facebook and said, you know, how interesting an English publication covered our local band who sings no English songs and don't have like an English audience at all. Um, in the beginning, I think he was being slightly sarcastic as well because he didn't know why I was there and why I bothered. But what was interesting was after he reposted it and uh, our article got picked up and it actually went through a lot of different audiences. Back in the day, it was pretty good. You know, it garnered more than 100 likes likes and then there you know increased average time spent on our website things like that and uh, we actually became friends 
So I outreached him. I said, hey, you know, thanks for sharing. It actually boosted up our whole uh, media publication. And he got interested. He's like, oh, is there a market for us there? You know, are people in, into that sort of stuff? And later on, we became friends. I became friends with the band. I covered almost every single one of their performances. And they actually rise to fame. Um, they became very, very famous. And if you were to search their name in an English publication, I'm probably the first one who covered them. So I guess that was... Well, now, now, you, ha- now you have to tell us the band name. <laughs> The, the band is called Supper Moment. So they used to be very, very famous and popular here in Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it, it was pretty interesting to, to get that opportunity. But for me, it was more about being able to connect with people who other, otherwise would not have been able to connect with myself through an article like that. Rather than right now, I think predominantly a lot of people would be like, how much views did you get? How many traffic did you get? How many people did you reach? Those are nice numbers to have if you were were to ask me i think the valuable part is building that connection through the storytelling absolutely uh my like just my my brain's like uh like just racing right now with all the things i want to ask you but i want to i want to keep things um i want to keep things structured for for the episode and and for our listeners also for your time so i want us to move to the the second segment of of our show and i think probably we're going to cover some of the things that I was hoping to ask you through that as well. But on key moments, we always like to know five moments that really made all the difference in your journey from what you were just telling us telling us about to who you have uh, become today and are continuing to become. So tell me about one failure in the early days that kind of like really stuck with you or, you know, just got you to like really consider things differently, like moving forward. Yeah, um, this is something that I repeatedly tell people and I don't know why it has become a habit, but it has become something that I'm really proud of as a failure. Um, Like I mentioned, when I first graduated, I was struggling to find a job, correct? And um, uh, I really wanted to work for this company and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be promoting for them. They don't need the promotion, but I really want to work for Hypebeast. Um, At the time, they're still very small. So there's still a new kind of online hype street fashion blog website. They still haven't had their e-commerce launch yet back in the day. They still haven't had their print magazine launch yet back in the day. It was still purely online. And um, being being from Vancouver, I think a lot of us kids who were studying in international schools as well, um, we really, we loved that online magazine. We loved everything about it. Every single pair of shoes they were talking about, we want that pair of shoes, right? So that was kind of my, my dream job. Um, and when I first graduated, they were hiring for a writer. So I just went, I said, you know, I'll, I'll come and apply. Um, people in there had a very similar background. They also immigrated or grew up elsewhere. So we really bonded and connected based on our personality. However, I did not have the experience. Therefore, they said they cannot hire me. Now, usually people would just say, okay, fair enough. I don't have the experience. Maybe I'll go and find another job and I'll come back to this job. Or maybe I'll just give up and look for something else. But at the time, I don't know why I was being very confident in myself. Maybe it's just me being a little over my head, but I was like, they like me. I just don't have the experience. Might as well just create some sort of experience and get the job. What I did overnight was I started that magazine you've mentioned in the intro section um, called stuffs.com. So I actually just started that overnight Um, and I started writing my own writing experience because I really wanted the job. Um, And throughout the month, I just kept sending the HR, my article on the website that I created. And they ended up hiring me. They opened a new kind of internship, part-time, weird position for me just to go in and, and work because they were like, this girl really wants the job. We'll just make something of her. So I... She literally created... She li- This girl literally created a job to give herself experience so that she can take that experience and be like, see, I have experience... <laughs> And they knew what you were doing, right? But they were like, wow, she really wants it. Yeah, definitely. So that was my failure, but also one of my proudest moments. And I still can't believe what I did because it actually worked. I don't know if it will work for another person just trying to get that. But taking that first step is definitely very important and what has helped me um, kind of built myself to where I am right now. That mentality and that drive of taking an initiative, even when people are saying no, doesn't mean you're forcing yourself on them, but it means that, you know, doing something practical and something that people need and show them that you are capable can take you uh, a lot further in, in life generally. Yeah. Oh my God, Joyce, that is super inspiring. Um, I, I, I want to share a story as well that is um, like 
sim i guess from my personal experience similar to that but just like a hundred times like more clumsy uh basically i and this is like just total coincidence but speaking of canada i'm i'm based here i'm from egypt but i'm based here in ireland and so is so is uh chopcast but uh back in the day like 100 years ago i actually did an exchange semester in uh, ryerson university in toronto i spent four months there best four months of my life i was like oh my god i want to go back to canada so when i came back to <laughs> when i came back to dublin i uh, actually looked at someone uh who was just like a i think it was something like an electric car startup or something like that and i was really willing i think it was them and then there was another company that were doing like an accounting software or something like that basically i was like dying to go back to Canada and just get any type of like internship experience and they're like okay but it's uh, it's not paid I'm like okay no problem it's it's unpaid and it's like oh but you're all the way in Europe um you know we don't like really work with that we, we don't really like like we can't cover any expenses or anything and um I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to my parents and say hey can we work something out where like I can go and like I'll literally pay to do free work and then get that experience and maybe and they're like, yeah, sure, we can support you. And so I told them that, and both companies, unfortunately, um, uh, shot me down. They're like, sorry, we appreciate the interest, but no, we can't, we can't have this. Like, we we can't have you. Like, it's just so too out of our like our 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 system in that regard. And during that period, I was basically just like um, around my university campus here, just like walking around, and you know. Some people who've tuned into the show maybe tuned to the to the show before may have heard the story before, but the idea is that like I I was actually in a in an empty classroom and I saw a bunch of like flyers on the on the floor of this uh, screening of this movie called uh, the Startup Kids, and it was basically I had never heard the word startup in my life before. Um, I had an idea, but I, I didn't really know what that was, uh, and I thought like entrepreneurship is like something it's like something to do as in in like like finance or something like that I didn't even know what it was exactly and so I ended up watching that going for the the screening of the I picked up one of the flyers I realized what time it was and I went to actually watch that uh, documentary on campus like a couple of days later and it literally changed my life completely because I realized that those two startups that I was trying to apply to this is not like this far-fetched thing you know at least at the very start you can actually have a chance to give yourself an opportunity as opposed to wait to get an opportunity from others. So I just wanted to share that because your, your story is, um, is, is, is like, yeah, super inspiring to when, when, especially to hear like how it all worked out in the end. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. How, how did this become kind of like a mantra for you where you're just always, whenever you can't get something, you're like, just create that opportunity for yourself somehow. I think so. I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing your story. I think there are moments where, when we think back, it makes a lot of sense. At the moment, we're like, why? Um, so even though, like you said, you know, it might seem like it was a bit clumsy, now you have a story to share. Now you have that very memorable moment that makes a lot of sense, right? So I think for anybody who's listening as well, don't be afraid to just take that first step because usually it's not as glamorized or smooth as I would portray it. For some odd reasons, it did work out for me quite naturally. But it's, it's still the most important thing is to try and have that story to tell later on because that's what makes you absolutely unique. Um, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, building on that, I, I am reminded of earlier in the episode when you were talking about how you loved storytelling so much, you would even write stories on on uh, on uh, or sorry your parents would buy you books on like you know uh, kind of like whales and you've even started writing your own stories about that i was wondering if there are any books in general maybe back then or even closer to like where you were today that really put you on a totally different path once you've once you've like read that book yeah uh, i think one book that really changed or helped me when it comes to um, first establishing my company would be Company of One. So that's like the perfect book. Um, I tell people about it all the time. Um, it's, it's somewhere hidden in my bookshelf. I don't want to go away and take it, but you would definitely find it. I think that really, um, I think that book has helped me in the way that it reinforced the ideas that I had in my head, but I did not have a way to properly explain it. So I thought it was just me imagining things, right? A company of one, I get to make all the choices. I'm not looking to get super famous or super rich. I just want to be able to 
do things I love, support me and my family, and just live life, right? And I thought that was just some crazy thing I had in my mind. But somebody wrote a book about it years ago, and he made it work. And I think what was interesting was he raised a lot of case studies of how other people made it work, right? And I really enjoyed it because it didn't say what was the right way and what was the wrong way. It was more about this person wanted to build a company, so he hired these people. This person didn't. He just wanted to work alone in the woods, so that's what he did. And I liked how there was that spectrum. So it ties back to your point as well. When it comes to entrepreneurialism or the whole entrepreneurial mindset, people go straight to the whole flashing their Lamborghinis and moving into a lovely apartment and, you know, always suntanning and owning this and owning that, which is an aspect of entrepreneurialism for certain people but that doesn't segregate or isolate the rest of us which we're not looking for that sort of life not because we can't but it's not what we prefer Um, but we still have that entrepreneurial mindset in us we want to start something and we want to passionately solve a problem that we have so at the end I think that's the book that really helped me in recent years to feel like there is ideas in my head that make sense and other people have been using it to drive their own version of success. I think what you're saying is could not have come at a better time because right now we're in like this post chat GPT world where someone like me who couldn't code at all and, and, and still can't is actually finally able to like learn the skills needed to like to like learn how to code or learn anything for that matter. And I think that right now, like this vision or this, some people may think of it even as like a utopia of like the utopia of company of one where you don't have to worry about managing a super large company and so on. It's never been easier. Wouldn't you agree? I would definitely agree. And I think right now with the whole implementation of AI, what's interesting is I was talking to my PR and we refer to the AI as our colleague now. We just say, you know, are you going to delegate it to your colleague? Because none of us has have a colleague. We're both solopreneurs. We just work by ourselves and we delegate or we work with other freelancers. So it's very interesting. It depends on how you use that tool. And just to add to that, if you're able to use that tool to the extent where you're really delegating tasks that perhaps you do not enjoy or like you've mentioned, you do not know how to do, I think that's the real beauty of using AI. Instead of just constantly thinking about cutting time on things that you're already doing, like, you know, one-click generated content or can you help me write a flow or can you help me write a draft? Those are things that most people are okay with doing. Um, but if you're only trying to use AI as a tool to cut time, I think you're um, undermining the whole potential of using this tool. Totally. I think that's like literally just scratching the surface of it. I do have to say, Joyce, though, that I am uh, one step ahead of you and I will tell you why. It's because you were saying that you refer to AI as your colleague. I've already went ahead and gave ChatGPT a name. So <laughs> I actually have it in my bookmarks and I've decided to call my ChatGPT link Barney. So now I just have Barney in the in, in my bookmarks and whenever I need something, I just go to Barney. Now, whenever I ask ChatGPT, do you know what your name is? And, and uh, it's obviously like, no, I don't have a name, uh, you know, as an AI model, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, can I call you Barney? And it's like, you can call me whatever you want. I don't care. Uh, so, so that's, that's, I'm, I'm sticking with that anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do, I do love what you said though, about how, um, you know, on a serious note, like how, you know, people kind of use it as like time saving or like one child content creation. Yes, obviously this, this, this is an, this is like an obvious way to use it. But to your point, I think people should totally dig deeper in, in terms of like the usages. And one of the things that I'm learning um, actually came from uh, an episode of um, an amazing podcast called My First Million. They had uh, Darmesh, uh, who is the uh, CTO of uh, HubSpot, on recently. And he said a lot of people are talking about using ChatGPT to turn um, like text into text or maybe like text. So what you were talking about with like the one shot um, content creation and how some people do that, which is which is fine. Like that's like text to text. There's also like text to image, right, which is like all the... Uh, the DALI stuff and maybe the mid-journey stuff. And then, but he's saying like, really what's really cool is text to code where you no longer need to learn. And I could be paraphrasing this completely wrong, so forgive me, but I, I think it makes sense. You know, like the English language is now becoming a programming language. You could like have a discussion with ChatGPT about something and say, great, can you just write that into a program so that we never have to talk about it again and it becomes like an automated thing or something that I can monetize or whatever. 
you know, and imagine like being able to combine that with just minimal amount of coding. You can already start to do so much. Like I'm speaking from from just a couple of hours of experience. I went from knowing nothing to actually being able to like host something online that wasn't like it's it's not fancy in any way, but just being able to, to to see how quickly something like that could have went online, I think it just made me realize, oh, wow, what if I actually take this seriously, you know? What if I actually spend a week on this, let alone, yeah, like um, a couple of months or, or years and so on. Awesome. So let's move on to one person. Who is one person that comes to mind when you think about the journey that you've had so far in terms of like, Again, like uh, fr from from where you were to where you are today with your consulting business. Touching back on what you've mentioned in my bio as well, I was a full-time dancer for over a decade. Um, I don't know how that happened. It just happened, um, to be very honest with you. A lot of people, you know, when they're born, they're like, I want to be a dancer. I want to perform on stage. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, the start of that journey for me was only because I needed an extracurricular activity to get my grades because I, did, I wasn't doing anything outside of school. I was just at home or playing video games, so I needed something. And my classmates recommended me to go and join them on a dance lesson, which I thought in the beginning it was more just still for grades. Okay, I'll get this teacher to sign and say I did hours of extracurricular activity, um, so I'll get it done with. But then the teacher actually came up and said, hey, Joyce, have you ever danced before? I thought you were pretty good. You should continue. And that was that motivation that caused me to stick around. And it eventually became a career of its own because of my ambition again. Right. I just went to a studio and said, I can teach. And they're like, show me. And I did. And then they're like, you're hired. So that kind of happened. Long story short. But I think the one person that really helped me. Um, I wouldn't say he helped me in the whole consultation side of things where I am at right now, but he really helped me understood that content is able to allow you to explore your full potential when you're reaching the right people. Like, why, why do I actually say that? So he's actually TK Mack. He was my old boss. Um, I used to work for a company called Silly Thing here in Hong Kong. Um, under the magazine Obscura magazine. That was my second dream job, literally, because it was kind of like a Hong Kong version of Kinfolk, where we just wrote about minimalism and Zen and like just white stuff. That's how I put it. Like we were kind of like monks on a hill and we just wrote about white stuff. Nobody cared about, um, and not, not, not that we don't care about readers, but we didn't care about readership or how much we sold or it wasn't any of that. We just wanted to create very high quality content that marked us as a differentiator in Hong Kong within the whole media industry because our boss was capable of doing that. He already had um, a handful of other magazines and he just wanted to make something different. Um, and I was a reporter back then writing about all these, you know, really cool stuff. And at, on the side, I was teaching dance every Wednesday. They knew that before they hired me. Uh, that was kind of one of the, bargain that I had to make in the beginning. I'm like, if you want to hire me, you have to let me go every Wednesday to teach dance. And what was interesting was he really appreciated that. He thought it was really cool to have a, a, a worker of his um, be dedicated in something that they were passionate in because it helped them storytell, literally. It, it helped build who they are. And um, there was this one time when an opportunity came where I was able to actually um, get the role of being a um, the formal, the kind of the signed on contract dancer for a girl group here in Hong Kong and that was one of the biggest milestones for me in the dance career but at the same time I was working as a full-time reporter under his company usually what people would do is they would either quit the full-time or they would abandon that opportunity because you can't do both um, knowing who I am right now after the several the dozen minutes that we've conversed I think you would have guessed I thought I could do both right um, so 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 I went to the boss and I told him you know I have this amazing opportunity I would love to go for it but you know that would mean I have to cut hours or have to work overtime here or we'll have to rearrange our hours you know what is your point of view first thing he said was great right like go for it like which celebrity do I know of them you know when are your rehearsal times you know would you have enough time to eat lunch it was very personal it was very it was it was very nice let's just put it he was just Oh, very, very nice. And um, we actually came up with a plan where I split my time between the full-time work without being, without being fired um, into kind of a lower, 
a part-time versus full-time kind of role. We made something up that worked. And then I was doing rehearsals every single day before heading back to the office. So I ended up achieving two milestones. I became a reporter for that magazine um, and I wrote some of the best stories I've ever written. And I was on the dream stage that I wanted to go on as a dancer. So that person specifically really changed my life because he showed me the capabilities and the potentials that I was able to pursue through content because I, I put experiences like offline performances also as content. So that was definitely, he was the one that really, I would say, changed my life. And um, I really, really appreciate having him as a boss. That's amazing. That, that's such a cool story. And I think um, TK Mac, right? Yes, TK Mac. Shout out to TK Mac. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's I think it's super cool how, like how I, I think like this this flexibility can sometimes be rare, like right, like sometimes it's like hey, like I appreciate what you're doing, but like we we need you full time here, you know. So so you know you, you it, uh, and you f- you find yourself in front of like an ultimatum. So it it can be pretty rare, specifically in today's like competitive world and everything, like where. Where you actually, where where you actually have the flexibility to genuinely spend considerable time doing other things as well, and having the company kind of like um, adjust to that versus versus vice versa. So that that is super cool. And like, what what did that whole experience teach you? Like, since then. I mean, the whole experience did teach me one thing: that I look quite horrible when I'm super skinny. Um, I was very skinny back then because I was doing a lot of exercise, right? Commuting, dancing, commuting, and then working and then going out and doing stuff. So that was when I was the skinniest out of the whole entire life that I had and I didn't look that healthy at all. So that's one lesson I've learned. Sometimes it's great that you're exploring different potentials, but do be aware if that is the perfect thing for you as a lifestyle as well. You're still a human being at the end of the day, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I did achieve one of the goals that I wanted. when it comes to investing in a dancing career, because it's relatively short here in Hong Kong, especially uh, professional dancers, you know, it's the same bunch of people over and over again. And until they retire, you have a, the same bunch that comes up. So it's a very small community that it's kind of like being an athlete as well. Um, for me, I think that was also when I realized that there is the lead, the need of eliminating things, right? There, it's great that in your prime time when you're young in your 20s that you try out everything. It's kind of like dating as well. That's the kind of approach that I have. Even what my mom would teach me is like, go go out, date people, know what you're, know what the people are like, communicate with different people and uh, 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 kind of broaden your network. That's when you actually know what to not choose in the future or, you know, this is kind of what I need and this person doesn't fit it. I know when to let go. So for dancing, that was the ultimate goal that I set myself a decade ago. I wanted to be on the Hong Kong Coliseum stage dancing for somebody and I did it and I was like, okay, that's it. Like, that's good enough for me. I'm not looking to be, you know, the next K-pop star. I'm not looking to travel the world with dancing. I just wanted to be on that stage and I did it. Now I can focus on something else. So I think that was a very interesting um, milestone or learning that I had based on the experience as well because if I didn't have that I might still be chasing for that goal and never endingly being super skinny and unhealthy at the end of the day <laughs> I think it, it, it's just such I, I just love how it kind of came full circle for you by by with with that um you know milestone of, of just being able to perform with someone on the in, in the Hong Kong uh, Coliseum so that is that is super cool and I think I I, I definitely respect the fact that like you were able to you're like fully on but then you're fully um it seems like you were kind of like you, you got there then you were like fully off you're like i've done that this this part of my life is done i'm satisfied it's time now to look for the next adventure and so on and i guess on the back of that tell me about one decision that you've done after that that you feel really like put you on the trajectory that you are on today yeah, I think that decision wasn't like initiated by me. It somehow built up to that decision. So after being a reporter, I moved on to becoming a social media manager. I also went into video production just for the sake of being slightly worried that my skills as just a writer wasn't enough for me to venture out into other opportunities because of the changing market. Print media here in Hong Kong, there was a time where a lot of them closed down, same around the world because everybody was looking for online media. And then in Hong Kong, predominantly the language is Chinese. So 
I'm not the perfect Chinese writer either. I'm better at English. So I could see that the opportunities were shrinking. So I went into other stuff, including the things that I've mentioned. Um, and then later on, I went into advertising agency, which was quite interesting. Some um, friend of a friend of a friend that found me on LinkedIn and said, you know, you've been creating a lot of content. And he was the one who said, you know, I think your next kind of stage would be a content director and that never really crossed my mind I thought I would be stuck in social media or at the most digital marketing and I'm like oh is there such a thing okay you know it sounds nice I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go um, what ended up was I did accumulate a lot of very valuable experiences there serving bigger clients working as a bigger team having a bit more budget and then a lot more leeway as to what we can do with the client um, but I realized also that people didn't really know what to do with me because I was a content director, which means everything was content. So does that mean I have to sit in every single meeting? Um, at the time, it was still quite blurry, right? Like Joyce is a content director. Does she have to be in the social media meeting? Does she have to be in the media by meeting? Because it does encapsulate all of these elements within the whole marketing or advertising um, tactics or things that we did. And I find that quite interesting. And then I, I thought to myself, you know, if it's so broad of a thing, you know, what is the main value that I can offer and what is the thing that I really want to achieve here? Um, and then I went on and jumped around into different other spaces and worked in-house as well as for other companies. And um, in the end, I realized that, you know, none of these companies really know what they want in terms of a content person. And it's not up to me being ambitious young joys to go in and say, you need this. It's not that. It's the whole hierarchy. It's the whole system. They have the whole business organization in place. I can't just change it because, uh, uh, because of me, because who I am, because of who I am. And I've assessed it that, you know, if I were to, at the time I had seven years of experience and in Hong Kong, usually you get to uh, move on to become maybe the head of marketing at the year of like 10 years of experience. So I really asked myself, I sat down and asked myself, right, if I were to stick around in whatever job that it is that's surrounding the whole circumference idea of content for three more years until I reach 10, how much of a possibility would it be for me to actually become a head of marketing? And after assessing different things happening here in Hong Kong, I realized there's, it's very, very um, unlikely for me to actually get to that role because of the just people not understanding the importance of what we call inbound marketing or the new marketing. They're still very much stuck in the traditional marketing sense of things, going to an advertising agency, buying ads, doing very what we call the bottom funnel tactic stuff, which personally I'm not. I'm not that interested in. I'm more interested in the full final picture, but that's another story. And then I quit. So I quit. I just said, you know, that's, this is not where I want to work. I don't see why I want to invest three more years of my time and not getting to my goal. I'll just quit. But at the time I was just planning on taking a break. That was when COVID hit. I'm like, you know, no point in me trying to find a job now. I'll just take a break and just figure it out. I quit on my birthday, October 31st, the next day, first of, yeah, I'm an, I'm a Halloween baby. Um, the next day, 1st of November, I actually received a direct message from on LinkedIn of a stranger, of a friend of a friend of something. And he said, I've been seeing your content on LinkedIn and uh, do you provide services? Which I didn't at the time. Uh, You're like, I do now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I did. And I whipped up something. As of, I, as of 10 seconds. Yep, I do. Yeah, <laughs> as, of, as of one minute ago. <laughs> exactly. And I did that. And then that spiraled from there. So I think that was a decision that I made that really got me to where I am right now. Um, just really, that's what one of my clients uh, tell me as well. Joyce is very practical. Like I don't go and chase for dreams in the sense that I'm a dream chaser and I'd be able to do anything. It's more... These are the elements, these are the assets, these are the things, these are the probabilities. How can I do it? Or if I can do it, should I do it? Um, and I think that was the decision that really led me to now where I am a solopreneur and have my own business. I, I, I think like one, one book that comes to mind based on what you were saying is, um, and again, I uh, sound like a broken record now because it's a book that, I, uh, that I've that i talked about before, um, which is, uh, or, or, or it's a concept rather that comes from a book that, um entrepreneur called James Altucher has written and he basically the, the the overall concept is the notion of like choosing yourself or picking yourself so and again I, I'm just seeing that this is such a strong reoccurring theme in your story so far at least from our conversation thus far that like you you have a dream you 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 go for it um in some cases you achieve it exactly the way you expect it to in other cases you decide you know what um uh, I'm going to 
it, it didn't turn out the exact, the exact way that I was thinking. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to uh, just give myself this opportunity and I'm going to take back control. And I just respect that so much. And I love that so much because um, we live in a time where people are waiting to get picked uh, all, all the time, you know, and they're waiting to for, for the pat on the back or the award or the promotion or the raise or whatever. And sometimes they think that, I mean, right, right now, like, there, there's a lot of companies that are like doing layoffs or even uh, in the last couple of months, like companies globally, like the biggest, most solid companies are, are doing are doing layoffs just because of the on um, like the, the, the uncertainty around like the, the economy coming coming currently happening and like going forward as well for a little bit. So I think right now, finally, the narrative is slowly starting to change where it's like, hey, well, maybe if I give myself a job, like if I create my own opportunity, maybe that's probably the most secure thing I can do because even if I work for the biggest company in the world, my job is not secure because it's not even up to me. It doesn't even matter. My, like, it's not about like, oh, did I hit my target or not? It's like forces larger than me outside of my control. Whereas what's in your control, uh, at least to try, is to actually start your own thing and see how you get on. And what's crazy is that sometimes that ends up giving you so much more security and probably puts you in a position to create jobs for like other people as well. So I can I can go on and on like but I just I just really love this reoccurring theme that I'm hearing through your story around um you know I'm going to try and go for it but don't worry if it doesn't work out I'm still going to make it work because I'm going to pick myself. I love that. And I guess to to we can keep going on for hours but I'm conscious of your time. One final thing I wanted to ask you and I think this will be tough because you've just done so much like what's one accomplishment that may not even be that big for others, but just for you, it just meant so much when, when you've actually done it. Mm, yeah, one accomplishment. Let me see, I do. I think I have it right here. I could show it in the video as well. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now in a specificality point of view. It's not a client piece of work. It's not about content marketing. It's not about any of that stuff, but it ties back to what you were saying as well. Just going forward and getting that opportunity or making it happen for you. And I think the one thing that I always mention to my mentees or just people I talk to, like when I go around in high schools and do volunteering work about entrepreneurialism and I tell them about my own story is that if you're always thinking about the money, then there's so many things that you're not going to be able to do. But if you're going to be thinking about your passion, your passion will naturally lead to money if you're doing it properly. So for me, I think one of the biggest uh, milestone or achievement that I have done is I've actually published this, I think it's a hundred and something pages, I don't remember. Yeah, a hundred and something pages publication magazine that is bilingual. So it's in um, English and is in Chinese and it's about art and culture. Um, and I did this specifically because I felt like in the publication I was working then, which was amazing, we were writing about crazy different things. I really wanted to own something and be like, I'm the editor, I get to choose, I get to talk about stuff. I really, you know, this friend of mine in wherever has a great story to tell. She's not well known, but I think people should know about her story and things like that. And I decided to put this together out of pretty much like nobody, like just me and like some savings and um, freelancers and old colleagues which were interested in joining in on the project. I mean, I think I printed like a hundred or several hundreds of this. I sold maybe half, so I lost half of my money. But that was the biggest achievement that I think for me up until this day because then we started a, we created an event. You know how content spirals into different things. You print a magazine, you have to do marketing, you have to do marketing, you have to hold some sort of event thing and then celebrate it and then you have to do post event, all that kind of stuff. We ended up having an event and we invited just random people actually. We just posted it online on like an event listing website. We promoted it on the whole, on our own website and we attracted actually a hundred people to come and like, I think like 70 people, I have no clue who they are. <laughs> I don't know who they are. And uh, they came, some of them came for the booze. We had a sponsor of beer, so I get that. I mean, like I would have went as well. Um, but there were other people who actually came and said, we actually saw your content uh, when this, this was online. Um, and then we thought it was interesting. We saw, we saw some of your interviews and coverage. We, we liked it and we wanted to check it out offline. And that really kind of 
became one of the, um, let's just say another confidence boost when it comes to recognizing the power of content, which is why I also sound like a lunatic when I talk about content marketing. It's like a cult or something, but I really trust in it. It, wor- it has worked for me throughout my whole entire life, right? Whenever it's a choreography or a piece of article or just some sort of LinkedIn post that I randomly decide to publish, it always leads you somewhere. Um, regardless of the goal of where you're trying to get at at that moment, um, because of the internet, if you publish something, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. So make well use of it. It might connect you and open new doors that you would never be able to open otherwise. So that's definitely one of the achievements that um, I, I think is one of the biggest things um, for me. Yeah, I remember reading that and I was just um, thinking that the it's it just so cool how like that it, it almost... And it came out of nowhere, but in the same time, you could you could have predicted that this person is probably going to end up doing something like that uh, in, in terms of like taking total ownership of this project from like start to end and making it happen. So um, my hat off to you for sure. Um, totally unrelated and on a much, much smaller scale, but like I randomly tried to start a magazine during the time that I was with uh, in, in college with uh, with a couple of friends. And I think it took us like an entire year just to get like one issue out and and no one cared and then that and that's the end of the story there's no <laughs> there's nothing else but 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 it just it, i think one thing i did learn from that experience is that it is freaking hard to like put a magazine together um whether whether and, and this was an online magazine mind you like imagine like but this this actually made it as like a like as like a print publication so yeah my, my hat off to you for sure all right well we're at the end of the episode. I was wondering where can people find you if they want to connect with you after this? And what is something that perhaps you may want to give to the to, to, to folks who have been tuning in with us so far? Definitely. I mean, like, it's my pleasure to share my story here. I'm still amazed at how, you know, different people are actually interested whenever I jump onto different podcasts or interviews. We always have a great time because of, you know, we have different perspectives and backgrounds and it's always just great to share our story. So if you want to learn more about me or if you're somebody who is considering to start a side business but don't know how to start or trying to figure out your own personal branding, because for me, it might sound like everything was very natural. It fitted in, but it took a lot of thinking and a lot of actual framework and system kind of uh, uh, um, theories to support it in order for me to actually end up at being a content marketer at the time I had you know dozens of names so if you need a bit of help or if you just want to jump on a call with somebody just search google search me Joyce Sang content marketing you'll find me or if you like to direct uh, your traffic you just click joycesangcontentmarketing.com I'm there Hopefully my SEO is doing the job. So you search, you'll find me first page ranking number one. Um, uh, but uh, apart from that, I also have a free ebook on my website. Just click on free resources and then there's a free ebook. There's also other free stuff. You can book a free consultation with me for 30 minutes. We can just chat and have fun. Or there's a free webinar there for entrepreneurs as well that you can just access. It's completely for free. Um, I would recommend you to try and download the ebook um, because it, it does encapsulate some of the things that we've mentioned, but on an executional level. So let's just say that you do have an idea in mind. How should you actually execute it via the medium of content? What can you actually uh, pay attention to? Or um, potentially, how can you actually use content to attract your first lead or your first client? So that's an ebook that I have for free as well on my website. I welcome you all to check it out and connect with me after hearing this episode. Awesome, Joyce. Well, thank you so much. You are a, a person that has accomplished a lot and you have, you're just so full of energy. I really enjoyed this conversation. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And guys, as always, uh, guys and girls, thank you for joining us on this Key Moments episode and we'll see you on the next one.